Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the afternoon here on AusBiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. And... uh, Bit of an ugly day on the markets today, is it? Currently down uh, about 160, 165 points after that uh, um, wild night on uh, on Wall Street. It was all over the place, wasn't it? Um, uh, down and then back up again. We've just had the inflation figures out. Um, it really is wild and woolly. And uh, we're going to be talking about the share markets, of course, today. Um, 10 stocks that you suggest in the first half hour. Uh, five of those stocks are Good Drinks Australia, Big Tin Can, uh, National Storage, the, the REIT, Macca, uh, Tribeca, Global Natural Resources, uh, um, um, Listed Trust as well. So uh, a bit to get through. Uh, joining us though, uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool and also Chris Carney from uh, Marcus today. Good morning to you both. Um, just some initial thoughts, um, Scott. Kick it off with you. The 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 volatility in the market at the moment, um, particularly in the last twenty four hours, does that make you a bit nervous? Mate, luckily I've been around long enough to not be nervous by this sort of stuff. But I don't envy anyone who's just getting into investing, or maybe hasn't been doing it as long or as concentrated as maybe others of us, because. It's a really, really tough time. I woke up early this morning. The S&P was down about 2.5% after yep. having been down almost 4% at one point and then closed up three-tenths of a percent. You look at that and go, hang on, what's going on? And it's not unreasonable for, for the average investor to kind of go, man, if the markets are doing that, how, what, what chance am I? And I think that's absolutely understandable. When you back it out, we know Ukraine's there. We know inflation's all over the place. We know interest rates are probably going to increase. And you mentioned inflation, 3.5% which is more than the market was expecting, more than the RBA is, I'm sure, comfortable with. So uncertainty, you know, they, they say the market hates uncertainty and I hate cliches, but they're kind of, they're cliches for a reason because they tend to be right. And in this case, that's exactly what we're seeing. The traders who do move the daily, hourly, weekly market levels are trying to guess what happens next. And when you get that sort of environment, when there is that sort of uncertainty, I'm not surprised. It doesn't make it smart, doesn't make it comfortable, but that's kind of where you end up. Yeah. I do have to say that it's also worth remembering <clears> that BHP is going to try and more iron, uh, mine more iron ore. Let me spit that out. Um, Woolies going to sell more groceries. CSL is going to sell more blood plasma products. It's important to focus on the businesses at times like this, not get yeah. too caught up in the gyrations of the market. Yeah. Um, Chris, that's uh, what a 1,200-point trading range today on of Wall Street. It's pretty extraordinary. Is that a, for normal investors like me, not like you professionals, but... Is is a day like today just a day to stay on the sidelines and go, whoa, I'm just going to keep out of this. This is too wild. Yeah, I think so, David. Even for seasoned campaigners like myself and Scott, you know, a 1,200-point range on the Dow is not normal. And 
I would humbly submit that it's not a sign of a particularly healthy market. Some of the other signs of a not a particularly healthy market is the way that the Dow prior to last night and other US markets had been trying to rally off mid-session lows, but then ultimately fading uh, into the close and, and finishing lower. We saw that pattern all last week. So that buy the dip mentality of those new traders that Scott was talking about, that has largely evaporated and it's uh, probably the more seasoned tra traders and investors that are there. And they're not willing to jump in the fire, or at least they hadn't been until last night. Uh, and you could suggest that even last night, there might have been a, an algorithm or the, the bots that kicked in uh, because, you know, certain programs went limit down and then all of a sudden the computers yeah. kick in and it rallies off the low. So, again, none of it, none of this is a, a sign of a healthy market. And the bigger problems and the, and the key one that we've all been talking about is obviously inflation and what the Fed's going to do. And the FOMC meeting uh, Thursday morning, our time we get the decision, uh, everyone will be very closely paying attention to uh, yeah. the commentary. Uh, Scott, what are the things you look for? Do, do you look for, you know, that big volatility, as we are saying, over a thousand point turnaround? I notice volumes are almost double the average. Um, are they little nuances you look for? Uh, no, absolutely not. Personally, because uh, I'm not a trader, Kashi. I'm a long-term investor, and so I'm looking yeah. seriously to put. I, I don't mean hit cash on the sidelines. Like you know, the, the 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 kind of the clever in air quotes stuff that other people can do from time to time to try and make themselves make some more money. I get that. I get the urge to be active, to do something. The old take a position, as one of the ads used to say, uh, to try and make yourself make some money somehow by being cleverer than the other guy. That makes sense. And if you're stock picking, you're you're in, implicitly saying, I think I know more than the market. So there's an yeah. element of that. But I've got to say, man, I've just been dollar cost averaging. I, I bought some shares on Friday because I had some money in the markets fell. I went, okay, cool. Turns out the market fell further yesterday and further today. And that's just life. I'm not trying to pick the bottom of these things. I'm trying to say, hey, if there's some stuff worth buying, I've got some money to invest and the shares are, are worth buying. I'm just doing it. And I know that's really, you know, the old benign neglect idea of, you know, how can you not try and do this or try and do that? Honestly, if you're a long-term investor and you're aggregating money, if you're trying to accumulate an investment portfolio over a long period of time, Sometimes I think you can try and outsmart yourself. I think, honestly, yeah. the, the, the basic simple stuff, buy quality companies, buy them at good prices. If you liked it three days ago, you like it even more today. So, hey, you've got some money to invest. Go and just buy some more shares. Don't back up the truck. Don't sell everything. Don't mortgage the house. Just keep adding regularly to a portfolio. When the market falls, you get a few more shares. When the market's high, you get a few less shares. That's the very idea of dollar cost averaging. It's boring, but it's boringly beautiful in my yep. view. Yep, yep. Great, great advice, great advice. All right, let's get into uh, the stocks today. Kick it off with the stock of the day. I thought we'd take a look at Fortescue, uh, the massive iron ore producer, uh, basically a pure iron ore play. December quarter production update out today. Joining its peers, flagging pressure from labour shortages, supply chain constraints. Uh, this, as it reports, a 2% rise in uh, second quarter iron ore shipments, though the uh, slightly upbeat report was somewhat offset by um, a, a drop of uh, backdrop of stricter environmental and production controls, as well as the ongoing property sector crisis in China, which continues to weigh on the outlook for steel demand. Uh, looking ahead for you, guidance for shipments <coughs> remain unchanged, um, down 72 cents uh, below $20 a share. Um, Chris, what do you what do you make of Fortescue's update and? Uh, the stock price at the moment. Uh, a couple of months ago, everyone was doom and gloom about the iron ore price dropping to $80. It's just quietly come well back up above 100 bucks a ton, has it? 
Yeah, it certainly has cost you. I think it was November it hit those lows, and uh, yeah, it has uh, ripped back well uh, up to uh, beyond 120. I think it was there at one point. Uh, FMG's update, you, you summed it up very nicely. You know, a million tons more production, but the problem is that costs are going up. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you produce more, if it's costing you more to do so. This one, as we know, will be all about the iron ore price and the expectations thereof moving forward. Uh, there was an increased number of steel mills in China in the last couple of months uh, bringing production back online. Of course, we have to get past the Winter Olympics uh, in Beijing because uh, there were restrictions on the amount of uh, smelters that could run for, for pollution reasons. Uh, but there is some expectation that there's some restocking going on and then that will accelerate post the Winter Olympics, as I was just saying, and that demand will continue to pick up. So. If you believe that, and you believe that will be supportive of iron ore prices, which I tend to, then the outlook for Fortescue is probably more positive than negative. Just from a pure price point perspective, though, it is uh, trading right around that $20 mark. Uh, and as we know, big round numbers on charts uh, are oftentimes fairly significant. I'd really like to see it hold here uh, and possibly bounce before putting some money to work. I just need a little bit more evidence rather than less that uh, it's moving in the right direction. Yep. Uh, Scott? I, I quite like Fortescue as a business. I should disclose I own some shares. I bought them at a little bit of a cheaper price than this uh, because I thought that that you know the, the pessimism was overdone. The falling yeah. iron ore price was about as silly, or the, the pessimism around it was probably as silly as the two hundred and twenty dollars a ton you know optimism that was in the price much earlier, as you saw on that chart. I think that's the the reality of markets. They do overreact, as we've already talked about. Um, I, I like the the business more broadly. Chris is absolutely right about some of the short term pressures, um, but as he says, if you if you like the longer term story, then it's absolutely appropriate to look through some of those and say, what does the long term look like? The Chinese concern for me is probably the predominant one. If there is meaningfully lower iron ore demand out of China permanently, or at least the growth is lower, uh, then it does probably pit the big four against each other to try and get that volume. If the volume keeps growing, then it's probably good news for iron ore demand more broadly. Um, Chris is right, the costs are going up. By the same token, when you're mining it at a C1 cost of $15 or $15.50 and selling it for 80 something, uh, there's plenty of opportunity for margin. That's not the full cost, of course, but it shows you the size of the potential mm. prize there at a gross level. Um, so I, I, like, I like the business. I like what they're doing. The Fortescue Future Industries thing is going to be interesting. They're desperately trying to get into hydrogen. Uh, they bought the Williams uh, Racing Team business uh, to try and get more battery yeah. technology. So what Twiggy's trying to do here is really useful in terms of the Fortescue Future Industries business. A couple of things to think of, though. Firstly, it could come to absolutely nothing. So be very, very careful you're not buying into the full dream of that. There might be some upside, but don't buy the dream. Second is it interesting how the market treats the FFI business as it becomes larger. If you're a resources investor, if you're an iron ore investor and you bought Fortescue for the iron, you're seeing all the headlines, all the stories, and frankly, most of Twiggy's attention on this new bit of business, you might start to wonder, A, is it the business I really bought? B, am I comfortable with the business or the management being potentially distracted by that? They will say they're not, of course, and that's probably true. But you start to think about how investors might start pricing this business when it becomes a jack of all trades, master of none. If it's no longer an iron ore business only, it's not quite a renewables business, how do you how do you price those things? It can get interesting for the market. Now, as an investor, you don't need to worry about what the market does necessarily. What I think you might find over the next year or two is some volatility in the share price as, as the market tries to work out what Fortescue is moving forward. Is it a renewables business with an iron ore rump? Is it an iron ore business with a, a fantastical renewables dream that may never be fulfilled? That that kind of, you know, the prevailing view will probably determine the price in the medium term. So just be a little bit mindful of that. I do think it's probably a market beta from here, uh, but 
as the price continues to rise and again as the iron ore price fluctuates the upside is less obvious and as chris mentions um whether it manages manage to continue recovery from the current price or not is probably one worth watching okay so buying at these levels i think i would just right. uh but i don't think it'd be much higher before i'd say we move to a hole personally yeah. And as long as they keep paying the dividends. That helps. <laughs> it's becoming <laughs> exactly. a cash cow at the moment, is it? Blimey. Totally. All right, let's get into the stocks you want us to take a look at. And Lachlan, Chris wants um, a view on a company I don't think we've covered here on the call before, Good Drinks Australia. Uh, Lachlan says the company has recently announced it's opening its Gage Roads brewery facility in, in Fremantle. It's a, um, basically a craft beer uh, group along with acquisition, a venue acquisition on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. The beer's big on the on the west coast. Management looking to replicate that success on the east. Um, what do you reckon of Good Drinks Australia, Chris? Certainly an interesting one, Koshi. And uh, you know, you said you haven't covered it on the call before, and I um, hadn't seen much of it, if any of it, prior to looking at it for today. And just looking at the chart first up, uh, it's really gone nowhere, and it's been around for about 15 years. So ah. it's positioned as a as a growth company, and I think that's the question that uh, that, that that Lachlan is asking about. Uh, it's certain it doesn't pay a yield. Um, so if you're going to be buying this one, you're looking for the growth. It had a reasonable year last year. Revenue was up 40%. Gross profit up 69%. They do have an interesting target of uh, 20 million litres of, uh, of, of beverages by FY25. They were at 11.4 last year. I like the acquisitions. Uh, I like the, uh, the the venues that they've bought. Uh, and indeed, the opportunity to, to uh, sell beer on the East Coast is probably a strong one. But the problem that I have is there's a lot of these types of businesses, these craft beer businesses. Uh, and so they're competing in a very, very uh, competitive space. And again, I just can't escape the fact that that share price hasn't done anything. So for me to get excited about this one, they've got to fulfill that promise of their 20 million litres target or get close to it. And I need to see the share price get moving before I'm going to put my hard-earned money into this one. Yeah, um, because Scott, Chris is right, is there? Quite a few companies like, like Mighty Craft is sort of an umbrella, isn't it, of crab breweries and gin distillers all in the one mm. rather than just one. You've got the whiskey brands out there now. There is craft all over the place, Koshi, and never before has our drinking been so fragmented. Uh, a bit like our, our, our business viewing, our TV viewing, there was a time when there was three major networks in the ABC. There was originally two East VB and maybe four X if you're in Queensland. <laughs> uh, West End, maybe you throw that in, you throw in some others, uh, Emu maybe. But there wasn't, you know, everyone, everyone drank the same beer. And it was, it was scale and it was, that was what happened. You go to a pub anywhere within, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 k's of a CBD around the country and you're struggling to get BB or twoies on tap because they're full of the other stuff. Now, that's great as a drinker if you like your variety, but it makes it really hard to compete. Now, on one hand, that's opportunity for the small guys. And we're seeing brands like Young Henry's, for example, around in New South Wales, others around the country that are really making a great fist of being that small craft brewer. Gage has the same plans. WA working really well for them. Now, I should say, by the way, I'm a, so you see the share price going nowhere. I'm a reasonably long-term shareholder. I bought it when it was Gage Rose Brewing under oh. the GRB code, changed to Good Drinks Australia. My share has gone nowhere. By the way, they did a share consolidation. So if you remember this being a 10 cent stock, it was. It's now an 88 cent stock because they did a 10 for one consolidation. So the shares oh. haven't moved. Uh, as Chris said, just be a little bit careful. If you're used to this, having a single digit cent share price, um, I think I bought my shares like 20 cents. So I'm well and truly underwater still after this amount of time. You might ask why I don't sell them. I probably should. 
Um, the, the risk in this sort of business, this is a great example of, we talk about plenty of tech businesses with gunner business ideas. If I get this market, then I will be this size. Those things are all true. Gage and now Good Drinks Australia has for years had this East Coast expansion idea, had never yet been able to do it. In their defense, they went from what was largely contract brewing for Woolworths. Um, they had a lot of beers in the Woolworths, under Woolworths brands inside a BWS, Dan Murphy's, trying to be you know, the, the provider of that stuff. Woolies kind of half walked away. Woolies was a major shareholder too at that point. Woolies kind of half walked away from that. And Good Drinks has had to pivot its strategy to say, well, hang on, we're losing this cash cow, high volume business. Yeah. We're now going to have to do something with our own business. They always wanted to, but it became almost existential at some point to say, if we don't fix this, we're not going to have enough scale to compete, say in business, justify the share price. So they're kind of in that transition. As I said, it's very much a gunner strategy. I can't, I can't disagree with Chris at all in that sense. Even though I own the shares, I wouldn't recommend people buy them at the moment just because there is no obvious evidence of that traction. Spending 10 years going nowhere. Look, you can't extrapolate either way from past performance. We've seen plenty of high flyers crash. We've seen plenty of businesses that have gone nowhere all of a sudden turn into something. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't extrapolate, extrapolate directly. But look right. at the business itself saying, where's the growth, guys? Now, if you want to see positives, own brand business grown 45% year on year. You say, well, hang on. That's what they're trying to do. And it's true. But they've got that weight of the contract brewing business. They've got to get out from under, and they haven't right. yet done that. So if I own them, I wouldn't sell them. I haven't sold them. So I, I hold. I should obviously stick with that personally. But I certainly couldn't say you should buy them. If you see some green shoots, if you see some evidence that that brand strategy is turning into real top and bottom line growth, then go for it. Okay. But right now, profits are flat. Share price is flat. Hard to recommend an investment in it. Okay. All right. Nathaniel wants us to now venture into the the tech sector with big tin can. Um, this is sort of a, uh, what they call it, Scott, an enterprise software sort of business, isn't it, for, for big companies. Uh, has been a darling of the market in the past. Uh, share price down about 20% in the last 12 months. But the, um, the quarterly report for the end of December, uh, cash flow positive, sitting on a bit of cash. It, it looks quite solid. I think it does, Gosh. It's in what they call sales enablement. In other words, it helps sales teams go and do their best job selling their products into their customers. Um, if you think about so like uh, a sales force, is it? Kind of to some degree. Salesforce is more right. customer relationship management more broadly. Sales enablement is they give they give the sales reps the materials, uh, the detail, the CRM ah, detail right. as well, absolutely. To go into a, let, let's assume, a, I'll make up an example, a Coke rep going to Woolworths. Goes yeah. in and has the material on there, the sales spiel, uh, the presentations, all right. of the pricing and promotional detail. So basically, you'd rather have a whole stack of paper, a lot of what of you know paperwork you walk into the place with. You go in with the with the tablet or the computer and you show the the, the the store manager in this case or the department manager. Here's the detail. Now that's not just physical retail, of course. It's all sales, and that's what they're trying to do. But it's to put the information at the fingertips of the sales rep plus a guided sales strategy. So. That the boffins back in the office can say, here's how to make the sale, here's what to compare it against, here's all the backup research and information. So right. it's supposed to streamline and um, systematize that sales call. They're doing a pretty good job of it. And as you say, sales are up about 30% year on year. The last quarter was a really good set of numbers because they're cash flow positive, as you say, with cash on the books. And if you're a small tech company trying to grow, that's kind of the first cab off the rank. Showing you're not going to burn cash over time is ticket to the dance type stuff. So it's, it's a really interesting business. I like what it's doing. I like the way it's doing it. There's real value add for the customers. They can see how Big Tin Can helps them do the job rather than saying to a sales rep, here's some paper, go and knock yourself out, see if you can get an order. Um, they actually try and professionalize that process. The good reps will always be great. 
the mediocre and ordinary ones will be helped meaningfully mm. by something like Big Tin Can. I like what it's doing. It's it's not super cheap. The share price has fallen meaningfully, as you say. You have to mm. believe in the future in general. But if you like what they're doing, the growth is hard to ignore. And I do think this is one that's got caught up. You see that significant fall since August. Meaningfully caught up in maybe not delivering on cust- on uh, market expectations. Also just generally caught up in this tech sell-off. And if you like the company, if you like what they're doing, and I do, now's probably a good time to pick up some shares if you're prepared for extra risk and a bit more volatility in a company like Bid Tin Can. Okay. So uh, a spec buy if you're in I think so, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, Chris, what do you think of Big, big Tin Can? Uh, I would largely echo what Scott was just saying. The other element of their business that I found quite interesting when doing the research was that they provide the training as well. So all those materials that Scott was talking about, but then that ongoing training and, of course, to try and improve win rates and customer satisfaction, which every business wants, let's face it, at the end of the day. The other stat that stood out to me in the recent update was their average recurring revenue growth uh, up 133% mm. over the last year through December, uh, which is pretty pretty impressive. You know, Again, you want to see that consistency of earnings, and that allows the business to know that those earnings are coming and then expand and grow. They have picked up some pretty good contracts uh, recently as well. Guest was one. Uh, Yokohama Tires, another. So some you know, medium-sized enterprise, but some some well-known names that they're picking up contracts from. Uh, the only problem that I have with this one, Koshi, is is the share price. Uh, it double-topped at around 160, and there's a neckline there at 80 cents. You know, it's almost halved. And if it breaks down below that, probably because because of uh, as Scott was saying, you know, it is a tech name, and we know that tech is on the nose at the moment. But if it breaks through that 80 cent support, uh, it it could get you know, significantly more ugly. Not suggesting for one second that it will. And if it does hold at 80, I'd be more inclined to be a buyer than a seller. But I'm just concerned about that risk point. Okay. All right. So uh, watch around the 80 cent mark if it holds there. Good sign if it bounces off. All right. Something uh, a little more stable. Uh, Chris, Blake wants a view on national storage. REIT, the Real Estate Investment Trust, it holds all of those national storage centres around the country in them. Um, how does it stack up? I quite like this one, Koshi, and I reckon I've liked it from about a dollar. Uh, the, the way that they've expanded the business, it's grown to a market cap of about $3 billion. Obviously, they've been putting on more and more sites, and now they've got the advantage of scale. Uh, it's not particularly cheap. Uh, it's on a P of 27 times. You get 3.6% yield, though, just to sit in it. So you get a reasonable clip to sit in it, and you get that growth option as well. And this one for me is all about the fact that uh, we seem as Australians to be buying ever bigger houses, filling them with more and more stuff, and then having excess excess stuff that we need to store. Uh, if the economy is going to take a tumble, well, then you would think that there would be some businesses that are sitting on inventory and equipment that would need to be stored somewhere as well if they go out of business. So I know that's a little bit of a morbid thought, but again, it would drive demand for national storage. Uh, so I, yeah, I really quite like this one. This was a this is a buy for me. Okay, Scott? I struggle with this one, Koshi, and I have to say it's a difficult one to analyze because of its structure. Uh, it's delivered losses, but but cash positive and, and dividends for years. So it's hard to use the traditional metrics to look at. My general concern with National Storage, I echo everything Chris said, by the way, it's growing beautifully and doing a really, really nice job. My challenge is that if you think about where the growth comes from on a, on a, on a physical assets basis, if it, if it grows in terms of the need for the product, then it's going to have to go and invest in that um, capital, whether it's whether it's leasing or buying the, the properties to actually store the product on. If you think about how that plays out, 
as a as a real estate based business, it's only going to get the average return on that asset that it invests in. If it has to borrow money, raise more capital, or deploy existing internal capital to buy those new assets, the return on it is effectively the rental return, which is completely fine. Whether it's enough though at the current high price, and Chris is right, it's done really nicely, which is great. It's more the price that worries me. I like the business a lot. I think the trends that Chris identified are absolutely perfect, and I think it's exactly right. We will we will have more and more stuff in storage in five and ten years than we do today. So it's a great long term. The business itself, if you own the business, you'd be really happy with the business that you own. Okay. The challenge at the current price is I'm not entirely sure that unless it levers itself meaningfully, it can actually get lots of growth on top of this that outpaces. The asset base of the business. In other words, the return on assets probably similar-ish. I expect over time. Now, there's some um, capacity questions. So, if they're using up existing capacity, obviously that's free, right? If you're 90% utilized, you go to 100%. You're already paying for the entire building. You're already paying for the entire site, the security, the, the electricity, that stuff. So that's free money. When you have to expand beyond that, the next site, you start from zero and try and fill it up. So I'm not stoked about the economics of that from an ROI perspective or a return on assets perspective, most specifically. Um, the yield is really nice, 3.7%, I think Chris said. Um, those are those are nice yields. If you're looking at diversifying, which I say this kind of regularly, there are some businesses out there, you want to just get it, you don't want to be 60, 80% in banks, right? If you're looking for some income, you want to look at something like a national storage, I think it's a great addition to your portfolio for that purpose, particularly if you're diversifying. I don't think it can beat the market from here over the long term right. because of that elevated price. Nice problem to have. Not the business's fault, great quality business. One for the buy list if and when the price falls. It's fallen a little bit recently, so it gets a little bit more interesting. Another 15, 20% fall, I'd be, I'd be very keen. Um, but I think right now I don't expect it to be a market beater. So I, I wouldn't sell it though, it's probably a hold for me, Koshi. Okay. Um, Murray, uh, Scott wants a view on uh, Mecca, the uh, mining and civil construction company um, in focusing on the mining industry. They're into material haulage, uh, crushing, Sybil, uh, earthworks and the like. So I like the business here, Koshi, but if you look back at what's happened over the past 10 or so years, you see the real impact of the drop-off of the mining construction boom. And thus far, at least, there's no real evidence that it's coming back anytime soon, which is fine. The shares aren't particularly expensive right now, but it reminds you of the cyclical nature of this business. When demand is high, you've got high utilization and you've got high prices, you can pretty much call the tune. And we know through the mining construction boom, plenty of mining services mobs charged close to a king's ransom because they could and because the miners were happy to pay for it because they desperately needed the mines open and, and output coming. So it's, a, it's an attractive business to be in when you're in high demand. When you're in low demand, it's a terrible business because you've got all this capital equipment, you've got staffing, and you're trying to say, well, I can't utilize this. I've got to pay the bills. I'm not getting anyone to, to rent it or lease it from me. I'm not getting the projects done. I'm not being able to push ahead with it. The promise at the moment, it's 12-ish times earnings, which is not super expensive nor is it super cheap, but I just don't see growth in the business operations just yet. And without that growth, you have to wonder where, where the revaluation comes from. Either more profits leading to a higher price at the same PE, or the market getting excited about a company like Macro and saying, you know, I'm going to pay 14, 15, 16 times for this, and I might get a 20 or 25% upside from here. So unless and until we see that mining construction boom return, or even just slow, boom, just slow steady, but ongoing growth in the, in the market, very, very hard to see where earnings growth comes from. If you don't get any earnings growth, then 12 times earnings is not a stupid price to pay, but it's not cheap enough for mine to suggest it's going to be a market beater from here. It does absolutely hinge on utilization and ongoing demand. Anyone's guess. The miners are putting out record volumes. Fortescue, we talked about earlier in the program, without growth in the mining construction business, in Macca's business in particular. As long as that remains the case, there's going to be one of those businesses. I think, again, one of those watch list businesses, if and when you see things start to tick up, 
These guys are super leveraged to an uptick in mining construction. So it's a great time to go and play that game. I don't see the circumstances yet. And I don't really think it's unlikely. No one was forecasting it to be probable. So you can afford to sit around and wait, I think, and then take yeah. advantage when the opportunity arises. Yeah. Chris, it's a horrible chart, isn't it? 12-month chart. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly it certainly is, David. It's been hammered. Uh, it's been hammered in uh, twenty twenty one. Uh, much like Scott, I like the theory of this business, but I don't particularly like the practice. So, Macca's main attractions are recurring income, valuation, and yield. So they lost a key contract in June last year, the Carrara Iron Ore Mine. Uh, so then the questions come about well the recurring revenue and the recurring income. The valuation, like Scott was talking to, it's not particularly cheap. So there's no great rush to go out and get it. Uh, the yield's okay. Uh, it's 7.4%, but then you question the sustainability of that, again, because of the earnings. So, you know, the environment is such that, uh, again, as Scott was talking about, volumes and commodity volumes and prices are faring really well. You would think it would be a fertile environment for a mining services contractor, but we're just not seeing it on the ground yet. We're certainly not seeing it in the share price. So I just can't, uh, I can't buy this one as much as I might like it theoretically. Okay. All right, staying, Chris, staying in the uh, the resources theme, Will wants to be on the Tribeca Global Natural Resources Fund. Uh, Will says it's been performing great over the last couple of months, especially with the carbon credits. Um, of course, it's a listed investment company is, uh, that focuses on, uh, on resort, natural resource stocks. Yeah, so I'll defer to uh, my colleague and friend of the show, Henry Jennings, who covered this one. Uh, I know you know uh, Henry uh, quite well, Koshi. He likes it a lot. He writes about it in his small cap section of our newsletter. He wrote recently that it's trading uh, trading at a discount to the the NTA at about 13%, uh, focused heavily on base metals, precious metals, and battery metals. And like Willie notes that the carbon credits uh, is a great thing. His line was carbon credits, uranium, battery metals, and oil and gas. What could possibly go wrong? And he writes it as a buy. So uh, I'm not one to disagree with Henry, uh, and I'll, I'll get behind him on that train. All right. Okay. Scott, what do you think? Of oh, course, uh, I, I'm, I'm... It's, uh, Tribeca's a, a boutique fund manager. Jumbe Lu, who's on uh, Ausbiz a lot, she's one of their investment managers, highly regarded. Yeah, and I think that's this is this is the challenge. I think I think Chris's main point to my mind is that discount to NTA. Generally speaking, if you're buying a listed investment company, you've either got to have a view on the discount to the NTA or premium, or you've got to believe that the assets are undervalued. So if you think about any any listed investment company across across the board, um, if you're buying Argo or Afic or something else, you're saying, well, okay, either I, I can buy those shares individually, or I can buy the listed investment company. Why would you buy the company if it was more expensive than the shares? You wouldn't. So you're looking for a discount to that net tangible asset value that Chris mentioned. And that's a pretty good discount. If you're getting an eighth off for nothing, you're effectively getting the upside of whatever increase in the asset value you get almost for free. So it's a, it's a pretty good starting point. The question I suppose is then how do you value the businesses it owns to know where the growth comes from from here? Either you say, I take an individual view of the assets, I add, add them up myself and say, hang on, I think it's gonna be worth more in future. So that NCA discount is even bigger because the real value of the assets is higher than the tangible current value. Or you say, I like the, the, the management team a lot. I like the investment team a lot. I think they're going to create more value. And so I'm going to get more than a dollar's worth of uh, a return for the dollar of, per dollar of tangible assets the company currently holds. That's, the, that's how you would think about if you were going to make a, a buy recommendation. You're going to buy the shares yourself. So the NCA discount is almost in itself enough because you're getting free upside from the asset value. The question, of course, is if the assets are worth less than they currently look like. I want to say worth less, become worth yeah. less over time potentially. Then you're maybe not getting the biggest discount you want. 
if I'm buying shares in a um, newspaper company, for example, uh, and I'm saying, well, the, the, the factory, the, the printing presses are worth a dollar a share. Well, okay, yes, but are they going to be still there in 10 years' time if newspapers aren't printed anymore? So there's opportunity for assets to go up if they're worth more in future because it's creating more value or down on that same basis. Looking at Tribeca, I've got to say, I can't quite bring myself to be confident enough to call it a buy. Um, I don't. I think the NTA discount is nice. Uh, I think they're, they're a quality investment team doing their best for their investors, which is great. So I think it's obviously a market beater from here because you've got to look at those assets and say, are those assets going to be worth more? I can't quite bring myself to, to, to know for sure the answer is yes to that one. If I own them, I probably bought them because I like the idea, I like the assets, I like the team. So I wouldn't rush out and sell the shares. Do I think they're obviously a buy right now? I, I don't know for sure that it would be. I'd probably give this one a miss. Um, if you know the area better, if you know the assets better, if you know the commodities better, then maybe you're going to say, yeah, there's something there. Um, right now, I, I don't have enough okay. confidence to say it's a buy. All right. Let's recap the uh, first five stocks. Our stock of the day is Fortescue after their update this morning. Uh, Fortescue, a hold from Chris, a, uh, a buy from, uh, from Scott. Uh, good drinks, a no from both. Big Tin Can, speculative buy from Scott. Um, Chris would be interested if it held, the share price held or bounced back from this current 80 cent level. It's, uh, this is a, a really important support level. If it drops below that, it could drop a whole lot further. Uh, national Storage, um, Chris likes National Storage. Um, it's a hold for Scott. If it dropped another 15%, his issue is the price. Uh, then he'd become really interested in it. Both of them uh, like the company. Uh, Macara, no, and Tribeca Natural Resources, a yes from Chris, a no from Scott. Uh, in the second half hour of the call, uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, ProMedicus, uh, Atomos, uh, Beacon Lighting Group, uh, AVZ Minerals, and AMP, sort of, you class that as the real dog of the financial sector for about the last three years, but is it uh, is it turning from an ugly duckling into a bit of a swan? We'll find out what the guys think uh, coming up a bit later in this half hour. In the meantime, uh, Scott, let's take a look at ProMedicus, the imaging services business. Um, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, who is a uh, um, a um, uh, one of our regular experts, I think. He's been ProMedicus's biggest fanboy uh, for the last three years or so. Peter and Frank want a view on how it looks at the moment. They're saying share prices dropped from $70 in August to $47 today. It's a market leader, strong and competitive product paired with good long-term contracted revenues. Is this a time to take a look at buying back in? It's a great question, Koshi, and I think the summary of the business is spot on. This is a company that is truly a market leader. It's got uptake from some of the biggest, best, and most reputable hospital systems around the world. And so if you're doing that, you're doing something right. And these guys aren't super cheap, by the way. Also, too, for the hospital that's taking it up, you get the base package. Normally, you pay for a certain amount of use, and thereafter, you actually pay per use. So it's kind of an upside, relatively limited upside for ProMedicus possibly you know unlimited cost increase for the hospitals they're prepared to do that and say you know what it's still worth it we want to do this then it's great what it does is allows physicians and other clinicians to view medical images on on handheld devices computers distant from the server these are normally super 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 big files right because if you're looking at um, imaging of a patient the size the, the granularity of those files is so enormous mm. 
that previous to this, it was almost impossible to do it remotely. You had to almost be in the in the office of the radiologist, for example, at the time and look at it on their screen because transmitting and viewing the image was almost impossible. So the market leading tech is spectacularly good. Sam Hupp, the CEO, is doing a great job running that business. All of that said, you're paying 124 times earnings on my numbers at wow. the moment for that business. Even that at this needs, lower price. Exactly. And wow. a lot needs to go right for ProMedicus to justify this price. They are signing up more contracts. They are keeping more cu current customers. They're doing everything right. I, I literally cannot fault the operation of the business at all. But are you confident enough to pay 120 times earnings for that business, hoping that that growth continues, hoping there's no pressure on prices, a better mousetrap invented by someone else, um, that, all that stuff. It's a very, very difficult one because they're signing up single-digit million-dollar contracts at a time, which is lovely. When you look at a business like ProMedicus, given the valuation, given the multiple, they have to continue to grow and they have to keep them and they have to turn those into commercial profitability. On their side, this is a super scalable business. The tech doesn't really need to be additionally developed for each new customer. So it's a software business. We know how attractive and lucrative yep. they can be once you hit scale. The question is absolutely simply a growth story compared to a PE story. It's too expensive for me, Koshi. I couldn't pay more than probably half the current price. Now, I know mm -hmm. others have a very different view, including some at The Motley Fool. Um, so it's a difficult one to, to accurately value, and the price will be all over the place. In your favor, a lot of true believers amongst the retail investment base in particular. ProMedica's done a wonderful job operationally, as I've said, and they've earned the faith of plenty of investors. That keeps the share price high. On the flip side, it doesn't take much to start a, a stampede out of a stock and to see a, a PE crater. We've seen that happen already, as you say, but still at 100 plus times earnings, just too expensive yeah. for me, too much risk. I'd give this one a miss. I want to own it. I like it. I'd happily own it at a cheaper price, but I couldn't. I couldn't mm. pay the current price. I probably wouldn't pay half the price. And maybe I never get it, and that's fine. Um, I just think that the, the, what it needs to do moving forward is just it's a high degree of difficulty relative to the current price. Yep. Uh, Chris, what do you think of ProMedicus? I noticed Morgan's have uh, put out a, a buy on it after the pullback. I have the good fortune, Koshi, of having a father who uh, was a doctor, now retired. Uh, former doctor of Collingwood Football Club. I know you like your football. So, uh, yeah, dad was the doctor at Collingwood. And he has told me just how revolutionary this uh, software is. And Scott spoke to it. You used to have to be in the room looking at these images on a light box. And the critical detail is that you need to see all of the detail to make a correct diagnosis. And that was the problem with the technology is you could early doors transfer the images but you didn't have the the requisite detail to make sure that you were seeing everything you needed to see as a diagnostician to make an appropriate uh, an appropriate assessment so they've solved that problem uh, like I said that that just goes to show how revolutionary it is now the question becomes like Scott was talking about well the price uh, I would say it has been a good consistent growth story it's seen earnings per share dividends per share and sales as well as net profit all rise every year for the last six years. The key, the absolute key will be those contract wins, uh, again, that Scott was talking about. So they have accelerated in recent years, but in order to maintain that share price and that, those growth trends, it will have to accelerate again. Uh, can they do it? Well, they've done it previously. So my expectation is that they will, coupled with that little inside tidbit of just how revolutionary the software and the product is, I think they can continue to grow at that clip. What I would like to see, though, it has had that big pullback. Uh, $40 is a key price point, really needs to hold above there. Um, I know it's short-term stuff, and I know it's technicals, but price is the driver of whether or not we make money, and I really want to see that $40 price point hold. Okay, so you'll wait until it holds at this level? 
Well, it's, it seems like, uh, again, we've only got a small amount of evidence, but it seems like it is holding above that level. Uh, okay. So might only need to see a couple of updates and uh, I would be into this one again. Yep. Okay. So you'd be hold, holding it, hold on to it if you're in it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, we do hold it in our growth portfolio here right. at Marcus today. Uh, Chris Gavin wants a view on uh, Atomos. Um, Gavin's saying, I've held my holdings in this for a couple of years. It's pulled back a lot recently from the highs in September, October. It's recently confirmed its revenue guidance. Is this a buying opportunity or is there something I'm missing? Of course, they're in the development of, of video products. Um, have a deal with Apple, I think, because that's sort of technology that turns your iPhone into almost cinemagraphic um, film, the quality of it. Elliston are a big, big driver behind it as well. Ashok Jacob, they've got a, a big stake in it. Yeah, I certainly like the technology, Koshi, and I like the story. I think it's a, it's quite a revolutionary business once again. Uh, their results recently in August were, were strong, comfortably, comfortably ahead of expectations, and they had a huge increase in, in profit margins, which was, you know, 780 basis points, which was was quite incredible. Quite incredible. Uh, the problem again, unfortunately, is the share price. Looking at a three-year chart, Gavin said he's been in it for a few years. Uh, it's really, once again, it's gone nowhere. Um, and I struggle to buy businesses where the share prices aren't telling me that, that, uh, that you know, it's worth investing in. So I like the story. I, I like the recent results. I like the technology. I like everything about it. I just need to see that share price get moving. So it's a hold, but I am leaning bullish on this one. Okay. Scott? Yeah, tempted to just say what Chris said, really. Uh, I, I like the technology. They're, they're doing a really, really clever thing. And it's kind of nice to see small Australian tech companies profiting from, mm. from specific niches. Prometheus is a great example of that, by the way. Of, of all things, uh, diagnostic imaging coming out of a, an Australian company. Admittedly, they bought a, a, I think it was a German company originally that had the tech, but kind of nice to see them doing it. The Adamos doing a really nice job with that video technology. It, it's making uh, that, that kind of power of video editing and, and production that was only available to previously large studios a bit like tech generally, right? Really devolving yeah. that, that skill set to individual users, which is which is spectacular. The growth is good. The product is good. Um, it's very well known and well received amongst the industry. We've got a couple of people at The Fool who have video backgrounds who, who really like what's being done there and know that it's being used and, and really appreciate it by videographers and, and editors, producers around the world. So that's really positive. Again, to echo Chris's point, uh, 48 times earnings, even with a 50% sales growth rate, that's the, that's the juxtaposition right now. You take those two things and say, hang on, the growing sales is 50%. On the other hand, you're paying almost 50 times earnings. If they keep that growth going, this, this becomes a really, really cheap stock very, very quickly. If you can turn sales growth like that into meaningful profit growth, um, then all of a sudden that P you can halve or go even further down almost almost in a single year. It's, it, that, it's that, um, the, the leverage is that useful and that, that helpful. So you can see how that might happen. They can also simply redeploy that cash. And so it's important to look at the underlying cash flow generation, not just the reported profit, because any growth company is going to say, well, I could bank that or I could go and put it into sales, into R&D, into marketing. And they will because they want more growth. The Amazon story writ large, I own Amazon shares for the record. Um, but that's the story, right? You, you, you redeploy that that would-be profit into more growth, gives you more mm. value down the track. So I like Atomos. I, I kind of think I'm I think I'm with Chris. I, I, I'm probably a cautious buy on this one. Uh, volatile, risky, uh, shares could fall even further. Of course, they can at 50 times earnings. They'd be 25 times earnings in a heartbeat. So um, you know, anything can happen from here. But if they can keep that sales growth happening, sales growth is not enough. It's not profit. It's not cash. It's just revenue. 
But if you can keep doing that over an extended period of time, the rest kind of almost has to follow. Not not guaranteed. We've seen you know very large businesses go broke. But if you can keep that sort of growth, if you can keep delighting your market, finding new customers, getting repeat business, it's a pretty good sign you're doing something right. And more often than not, that's going to be a profitable trade. 50 times earnings is not super comfortable. Um, at 30, I'd probably be straight in. Uh, but I think it's probably a cautious mm. buy at the current price. Okay. All right, something uh, a bit more predictable. Scott Kelly wants to be on the Beacon Lighting Group. Of course, all things lighting. You see that there are ads everywhere in the papers, on TV, yeah. 110 stores nationally. Um, how's Beacon Lighting? So you say more predictable, Koshi, and normally that would be true. Uh, but I did have a look at the historical financials, and last year was an astonishingly good year for them. And it seems that, you know, from the outside anyway, they benefited meaningfully from the, the, the nesting, as they're calling it these days, that you know, we all did during COVID. That idea of saying, well, I can't travel internationally, I can't travel interstate, I may not even want to travel locally, so what am I going to do? I'm going to buy a new TV, new couch. And it turns out, plenty of us said, I'm going to buy some new lights. Wouldn't be the first thing you'd think of, but it seems that plenty of people have done that. Profit was up astronomically on the previous, not only year, but previous nine years. This was a really big step change for the company. The challenge, I've said this before, Koshi, and I'll say this many times in the future, we haven't had a clean financial year, a clean non-COVID financial year since FY19. We're now in the back half of FY22. <laughs> so if you kind of look at that and say, how do you take any numbers? Like, yep. you know, as you say, predict, it should be predictable, right? Woolies, Coles, Beacon, yep. uh, plenty of others. You say, well, these are slow and steady. We saw Woolworths, Coles sales growth. We saw Beacon's growth. We've seen JB Hi-Fi up and down all over the place. Accent uh, Group came out today. With, with the disappointing sales result for the back end of December and January. And you say, well, what, what base do I use for predicting or for, for estimating or for a starting point for my estimation of, of yep. future growth, future sales? It's really, really hard to tell. So Beacon at 16 times earnings looks inexpensive. It looks like a base, stable, solid business. But if you kind of pick it apart, I don't know that I feel comfortable with the level of profitability that is being used for that PE. And basically what I'm saying here is it's very possible Profit falls back meaningfully, and these shares could look meaningfully overvalued. We saw that with Adairs last week. I own shares in Adairs. We saw it with Accent. Um, I'm not predicting it with Beacon necessarily, but at 16 times elevated earnings, it's just a bit too rich for me. Mm. There's too much downside risk. And if and when they go back to normal levels of growth, which is frankly not much, if you're paying 20, 24, 28 times earnings, if it ends up being that on a base level of earnings, then trying to justify that with relatively moderate earnings growth is going to be really, really tough. And there's probably downside for the share price. So I'd give this one a, a wide berth. Yeah. If I'm wrong, if profits come back at the same level, then yep, they're doing something different. It's meaningfully step change and maybe it's worth buying. I just want to see the color of their money first. Yep. Um, Chris Scott's right, is that it's pretty hard to pick these <laughs> retailers. JB Hi-Fi is probably and great credit to them. Uh, the only one shooting the lights out at the moment, but everyone else makes you a bit nervous. I couldn't agree more, Koshi. Uh, Scott is a thousand percent right. The, trying to value these companies at the moment is uh, difficult at best, shall we say. We saw Adairs last week. I mean, I know Adairs is a different business, but it's that whole improve the home, stay at home uh, thing that we saw through COVID. The only thing I would say about uh, Beacon Lighting is just the metrics do look a little bit better and there is some more recent evidence to suggest that they may be more like the JBH outcome rather than the Adairs outcome. So just initially looking at the metrics, their ROE is in the mid-20s. That's exceptional. Their PE, like Scott spoke to, is only 16 times. You know, Compared to some of these other consumer discretionary names, uh, you know, that are up in the 40s, like ARB, for example, uh, you know, that is, that is fairly undemanding. 
uh, and it has a yield uh, of about 3.1%, 4.4% gross as well on the numbers that I'm looking at. So you do own a little bit of a, a clip just sitting in it. Uh, and then their market update earlier, uh, uh, sorry, last week, they said that their first half 22 earnings would be in line with the first half of last year. So that is a data point showing that the cycling through from that COVID tailwind that Scott was talking about, at, at least very early, is uh, they're able to hold on to it. What it looks like in the next few quarters, again, that will tell the full story. And that's exactly what, what Scott was talking to. And I agree with him on that front. There is just that little bit more bit of evidence to suggest that they might be able to hold on to some of it. So hold as well, but probably, again, slightly more bullish, uh, but still waiting for further evidence. Okay. All right, Steve wants a view, Chris, on AVZ Minerals, the uh, lithium and tin miner uh, that owns a significant mine in the Congo in Africa. Um, Just recently did an issue, incredibly oversubscribed because of the term lithium, I would suggest. (laughs) You're not wrong, uh, Koshi. You know, lithium has been the the space to play, of course. Uh, It's in high demand. And by all reports, uh, AVZ has a a fantastic asset over there in the Republic of Congo. The Jork uh, Mineral Reserve is 132 million tonnes at 1.63%, which is a sizable asset. The problem with this one, as with all explorers, is, you know, what is the transition from... Uh, being an explorer to being a producer. You know, that is a three to five year time horizon. Is lithium still in such demand by that by that time? Uh, how hard it is, is it for them to get this mine and this operation off the ground? Can they raise the capital? Well, they've shown recently that they can. They raise that 75 million in the blink of an eye. Uh, but there's so much water to pass under the bridge. And as a general rule, Koshi, I don't invest in these types of businesses. You know, you could trade them. You could trade the stock price. And the chart until recently looked absolutely fantastic. It was a market darling. It soared higher, uh, has pulled a bit back a bit from those highs. But from a long-term perspective, I can't buy a business like this until it is indeed a producer. And that's, as I say, you know, anywhere from two to five years away. Yep. Scott? Yeah, completely agree with, with Chris's final sentiment. The, the challenge with these is you're absolutely taking a, a massive flyer on what you know, business might look like in five years' time. And when we talk about you know, business, it's not just is there resource there, because we think there is, but what revenue do they get? What volume can they produce? Uh, what, how much is it going to cost them to produce? What's the price going to be at that point? How much is left over to distribute to shareholders or to grow more business from there? How well will they allocate that capital? And, and Chris mentioned some of those ifs as well, different ifs, but the same kind of idea. Now, if anyone's doing probability analysis, we all know the more ifs you have, the smaller the fraction you, you end up with, the smaller the probability of success at the end. If this and if that and if that and if that, it's the it's the largest small world in the world, small word in the world, and that's exactly why. So you're right, Chris says, you know, look out five. You say, well, what, what is what is the shape of the PNL look like? What does the total size of the PNL look like? It, it's impossible to know. This is absolutely taking a punt. And that's fine if that's what you want to do, if you want to speculate on, on potential reserves and potential commercialization or just that, hey, someone will pay you more for it when, when production gets closer, then knock yourself out if that's if that's your thing, that go for it. From an investment perspective, if you're using any sort of fundamentals and saying, what is this worth? I, I defy anybody to have a reasonable expectation of that. Again, it doesn't mean it can't be worth a fortune. Maybe the share price is 10 times higher. Maybe it's a tenth. Maybe it never produces. Maybe it produces a whole heap. Um, it's it just, it, it, it is... Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 it's guesswork, yep. pure and simple, it, which makes it a punt. Um, if you want to punt, go for it. If you're going to you know, take your money instead of putting the pokies or putting on the dogs and whack it into this, knock yourself out, I wouldn't be putting investment dollars behind it, though. Okay. All right. Our final stock uh, is an interesting one with uh, an interesting question from Tim. AMP 
the big financial services giant being an absolute dog. Um, share price down 40% in the last 12 months. Uh, I was just check- checking before it was $6 four years ago. Uh, it's had an almighty fall from grace. But um, a, a city have come out and said maybe there's some value uh, starting to appear in AMP. Maybe this is as bad as it gets, Scott. What do you think? Maybe it is, gosh, but uh, maybe it's another one of those small, big words. Uh, you, meant, you mentioned the price. I'm just trying to pull up a chart now. So it's less than a dollar. Um, I'm going to go back all the way to, here we go. Uh, where are we? $14.49 back in 2001. Uh, wow. So we think the fall from $6 is a lot. Uh, the further you go back, in my, the, the charting software only goes back to 99 uh, I, I assume it might have been higher even before that. So, look, the, yeah, this is this is exactly a case in point of turnarounds seldom turn, as Warren Buffett says. Um, yeah. th- there have been investors all the way through that last 21 years saying, maybe this is the time when, the, when there's value created. Yeah. Maybe AMP finally sorts itself out. And this is a salutary lesson, Koshi, because if you think about AMP, um, you know, I've been around long enough, to remember when AMP was the premier national name in finance. Mm-hmm. You know, there were, Commonwealth Bank was probably the only other one. There were state banks, there was others around the place. But the AMP, it was one of two companies, I've said before, the BHP and the AMP, two companies that were given uh, the, the, the word the in front of them. It was that big, that monolithic, that well-known. My parents, by the way, met at the AMP back in Sydney in the 70s. Oh. So, you know, it was, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hell of a story. What is, what is just tragic is the fact that management, year after year, decade after decade, saw the growth of the financial service industry like no one's business. Um, and yet, AMP itself has just withered and almost died on the vine because they've never been able to sort themselves out and find a profitable growth strategy, despite the growth of the big banks, the wealth managers, the fund managers. Almost everybody else has made a dollar. You had to try really hard to lose money during that 30-year period. And yet, here we are with AMP under it a buck. Uh, may, maybe this is the turnaround. Maybe they finally find some value. Maybe someone manages to, to run a slims down AMP for profit and actually do something with it. The brand should be worth way more than it's currently worth in itself. Um, and yet the business can't find a way to make a buck. Just too, too spicy. I mean, if you, if you want to play, again, this is, this is speculation. Will it turn around? On the evidence, you'd have to say the odds are stacked against it. The last 20-something years. Now, maybe, as I say, it's the first time for everything. So maybe the longer it goes, the more the chance, almost by sheer <laughs> law of large numbers, right? Eventually, someone's got to fix this thing, you would assume. Uh, but you're a brave person to put your money behind it. It yeah. seems tempting because you look at the brand, you look at the price, you look at the P under 10 and say, how can this possibly go badly? The answer is look at the last 21 years of market data and that there's your answer, unfortunately. <laughs> You, you yeah. can't go near AMP. If I owned it, I'd sell it. Not because it can't do well, just because there's no evidence to suggest that it will. Yeah. All right. Chris, Colway, you game? Well, absolutely not. I must have been looking at the cha- <laughs> same uh, chart that uh, Scott was looking at. I've written here, a greater destru- a destruction of shareholder value we've rarely seen in the last 22 years. So uh, I wouldn't buy this one with Scott's money, and I know he's got plenty of it. So that just goes to show you how much I don't want to touch this one. Um but seriously, we've got just looking at the, what's going on. There's money flowing out of the wealth management division, uh, you know, hand over fist. The demerger that everyone's been talking about, that's under pressure. There's The company's got a tight capital position, weak profitability and structural decline as well, which is what Scott was talking to. And there's no conviction anywhere across the board. There's no conviction in any of the strategy that they're trying to employ. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a hard avoid for me, as I said. All right. Okay, not not even a void. This is a hard avoid. Uh, I, think, avoid. Yeah. I think that says it all. 
and uh, Jay gives us an insight into uh, uh, Scott's personality that his mum and dad met at the AMP. You know, he, 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 he <laughs> was born a finance want. nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you had no chance. I never had a chance. No chance. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love it. Did not have a chance. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Always great to catch up. And Chris Colway from Marcus today. Uh, enjoy your Australia Day tomorrow. See you guys. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Gosh. Let's uh, recap the final five stocks. Pro Medicus, a no from Scott. Uh, a hold from, um, uh, from Chris. Uh, Adamos, a cautious buy from Scott, certainly a hold from, from Chris as well. Both of them like the company. Uh, Beacon Lighting, a no from Scott, a hold from uh, Chris. And AVZ uh, Mining, a no from both. And AMP, uh, a really hard no uh, from Chris. Uh, if you'd like any stocks uh, covered here on the call, put them in an email to call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, for all the stocks in the calls, fantasy portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.